Welcome to TC Daily, the technology show brought to you by Tech Central. If you haven't subscribed yet, do so at youtube.com slash techcentral. And subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can do that at techcentral.co.za slash newsletter. Now, very pleased to welcome my next guest in the studio, and that's Keith Pitu. Keith is CTO at Indigo Broadband and an expert in South Africa on everything TV white spaces. And we're going to get into some detail about exactly what TV white spaces are and why they're exciting and connecting rural areas. But it's great to see you, Keith. Thanks for yeah. making the time to come in. Well, thanks very much for the invite, and great I could uh, pop in while I'm up here. And uh, good to see you again. It's been, a, what, almost three years now. It's been a long time. I'm, I'm catching up with a lot of people lately who I haven't <laughs> seen for a long time because of COVID. Yeah, I think two years disappeared. We don't know where it's gone. Now. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's lovely. Thanks for in the invite, and uh, great to have a chat. Great. Well, let's talk about uh, TV white spaces. We're going to talk a bit about, or well, we're going to go all over the place, I think, in this conversation. But I think as a starting point for, for anyone who doesn't know what TV white spaces are, um, let's, let's define it. Okay. Uh, what is it exactly? How long has it been around? Who came up with the idea? What does it promise? Yeah. Look, TV white space, um, as they call it, is actually the open channels between the TV, uh, analog TV transmissions and it operates from the lower end of the spectrum uh, in, in which is allowed for TV broadcasting between 470 megahertz. In Europe, it goes up to 790, but here in South Africa, we go up to 698 okay. megahertz. So that is the allocated spectrum for analog TV. So the concept came up because of getting into rural areas. It was actually originally <laughs> done at Strathclyde University in Scotland. Mm -hmm where they wanted to try and connect people over the uh, terrain and difficult areas and get, get a little bit further. So they found that they could use this uh, lower frequency to get a little bit further uh, where you're not uh, obstructed by physical objects, etc., and the terrain and also undulating terrain. Um, so the frequencies we're talking about here tend yes. to go through objects and they penetrate further in the landscape. Correct, yes. yes. Which is why a television signal, or analog television signal, tends to be quite good. Exactly. Right. So, so we're, talking, we're talking about, um, and I think only older viewers to this, or listeners to the show will remember this, but if you were to tune an old TV, you used to turn the dob and, and get your... Uh, you get all the, the snow. The snow, correct, yes. Between yeah. the channels. Now, it's the snow correct. that you're using yes. for TV white spaces, yes. broadband. Correct. So... Okay. Basically, it's then to, um, you, you coexist with existing TV channels, and TV White Space is the secondary operator where the uh, TV broadcasters are primary, mm -hmm. um, and it's making use of that unused spectrum, because if you look around at the plan of most TV broadcasters in certain areas, they're only using, depending on how many channels on the TV there are, but here in South Africa, on an average four, maybe five channels per geographic area, out of 37 channels. Mm -hmm. So you're leaving it with a lot of unused spectrum, and that's where it came about. But particularly because of the lower frequency, you can reach further into the rural areas because of your terrain where you're not hindered by trees and right. um, obstructions. You know, in, in many parts in Africa, a lot of the things like mango trees, etc., are high foliage. But it, it, it progresses through that, so it's not obstructed by that be uh, similar to the higher, you know, the above one gig frequencies. So that is what made it attractive. But then they went into digital radio. So you've got cognitive radio, which is building a bit more intelligence into it all. And part of the regulations, I mean, they started with this concept early on and initial trials were done in 2011, 2012, 2013. I was involved in the ones in Kenya, but they also did them here in Cape Town, in Limpopo and 
Yeah, Cape Town and Limpopo. I remember those projects. Uh, Microsoft and Google were Yeah, Microsoft and Google sponsored, sponsored most of them beginning. Microsoft oh. for Africa yes. was part of them, and then Google were involved. And, and they promoted the concept and also helped fund the developers of the products. And what it was found, and um, with a bit of research work, the successful um, report, particularly from Cape Town, where they connected, I think, about 10 schools in the early years from oh, Tigerberg, wow. mm -hmm. and um, that the TV white space could coexist next door to a TV channel without interference. Right. And that opened up the door. And actually, that also helped them regulate it so that you could coexist uh, on adjacent channels. You didn't have to have a separation of two channels, mm. or, um, which made a big difference. So that progressed that... It took a, quite a while for regulators to actually get through and produce the regulations. In South Africa, the UK was the first, um, and then America and Canada. And um, here in SA, it was first, um, the technical regulations were produced in 2018. Okay. Um, but then there was the challenge, because part of TV white space operations for an operator is it operates, the base station operates off a spectrum database, which then tells them which TV channels are being used by the broadcasters that you then cannot use. Mm -hmm. And this so is by geographic area, is it? By Yeah, it's, it's called a, a um, geographic spectrum database. Mm -hmm. So there's a primary database which is actually controlled by the regulator, ICASA, and that is fed by the Centex and the SABC of what channels are being used in which area uh, according to their frequency plan. And this is all to avoid uh, interference. You don't want interference with the TV broadcasters or, or, with each or other. vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and if you've got multiple operators in the area, it will tell you which channels are being used. You can't use those. So it, it shows it to you. It's an automatic process. So right. originally the, um, uh, the, the specification for those channels was developed in the UK um, by Spectrum Bridge, uh, America and the UK, and then one of the others that came into it. It's called PAUSE, um, the, the, the acronym misses me, but it's the definition of how the spectrum database should operate. And basically, the secondary spectrum database allows the base station to log in, verifies your credentials. It's based on a GPS location built into the base station, and that then will determine what channels are available to you to use in that area. And you can see the channels that are blocked out mm -hmm. um, that are not available. So that's the principle and the concept, whether it's multiple users or the TV broadcasters. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely, um, uh, you know, a an opportunity, and it's been growing. I call TV white space the 4x4 four four of broadband, mm -hmm. mainly because it gets you that much further into <laughs> the bush, but not necessarily at the same high speed. Right. So you've got the reach, you've got the connectivity, but obviously because of the lower spectrum, uh, the lower frequency using, and the channels in the Etsy zone, which we are, are 8 uh, megahertz channels. Mm -hmm. America's 6 megahertz TV channels. So we've got a little bit more, but you can only do so much with an 8 megahertz channel. What about digital TV? Because Centex has been running uh, digital TV for, in uh, they call it dual illumination. Yeah. They've been running both analog and digital broadcasts for many years, and hopefully we'll be switching off those analog signals at some point soon. But um, I, I presume that TV broadcasters are using a lot more spectrum at the moment because of the fact that there, there is this dual illumination going on. Yes. Does that still leave sufficient spectrum to do TV white spaces? It, it does leave. Um, we have noticed, uh, whether the database is up to date, we have noticed sometimes some unknown transmissions which we've fed back and reported when we've done a spectrum scan. 
Um, also, digital TV uses a lot less channel spectrum yeah. than the analog does um, because you can get a lot more out of that 8 megahertz channel with your digital TV than you can. Do you still have the spaces between digital channels? And if so, yes, yeah. you do. You yeah. do. Okay, so you can still use TV wide spaces, still makes sense yes. in an entirely digital TV broadcasting yes, yeah. world. Okay. Now, that is the whole plan, and also to get out of that analog because the digital TV is far more efficient in the use of the channels. Mm -hmm. Um, so th that's what's taken the longest, but it hasn't affected TV white space deployment as such. It's, um, I, I think the biggest challenge in TV white space is there have been quite a few vendors, been in the game for quite a few years. Yeah. I mean, you've had Adaptrum, you've got um, Redline, you've got uh, Radwin, um, Carlson Wireless, of which we are their partners in Africa. And now you've got others from uh, Korea and Singapore called Internet, and there's a place called WizSpace. Um, but it's all coming about the having a, for rural broadband, it needs to be a point-to-multipoint fixed wireless network to get out and stretch into those areas where you can, from the point of a subscriber unit or a CPE as we always call them, then establish a connectivity zone around that. Mm to uh, make it more cost-effective. Um, but the challenge, it, it has been the, the growth and the demand, it, but because it's still mass to market with expenses and cost. Yeah. So your, your CPE is still not into the Wi-Fi <laughs> or the, yeah. um, the five gigahertz because it's such a big market. CPE being consumer, the, uh, consumer premises, premises equipment. equipment yeah. The piece of equipment you need to receive the signals. That, that, that receives from the base station to a subscriber unit, as they call it in the States, yeah. or yeah, most people call it the CPE. Right. But um, as a result, so one, one looks at what's the best way of using this technology to reach into areas where your standard 5 gig doesn't mm. or your 2.4 because your point to multipoint in the most the open spectrum is 5 gig mostly. Um, but as I said, do you, you do some of the uh, vendors try to do uh, channel bonding and channel aggregation using multiples of the 8 megahertz to get a higher throughput. Mm -hmm. Um, what Carlson did was put three radios into one base station, so that you've got a 360 degree, um, but then you're still limited to maximum about 30 megs per second over an 8 megahertz channel. Right. So it does provide you with a limitation, but the fact that it's symmetrical data and not asymmetrical is a much higher throughput and a much mm. higher um, efficiency of the channel usage. Right. So, so what, what are you getting with TV white spaces that you wouldn't be able to get with a cellular network? Um, with well, basically, at the end of the day, you're trying to provide a Wi-Fi connectivity at the end of it instead of cellular. Mm -hmm. But it's another. It's really just basically another fixed yeah. point to multipoint. Is it much wireless. cheaper to do? Is that it's the advantage? not really that much cheaper at the moment. It's mm -hmm. just as I said, you can get further. Right. So you don't need to have that many base stations or high sites. Okay. So you can um, you can get past your line of sight approach. They call it near line of sight. So you can go over the hill or right. through trees, right. um, even if it's, and we've had quite a few where there's been serious obstructions, but you actually get through it. Mm. Because and of the nature of the lower frequency. That's right. So hence my, <laughs> my comment of calling it the 4x4 four four of broadband. Is this, is this particularly suited for rural deployments or can it be deployed in cities as well? I wouldn't. We've tested it in cities. Um, there's a lot more spectrum, TV spectrum usage in the cities because yeah. of repeaters, etc., it's very much more for rural, um, where you've got your undulating terrain, etc. Uh, you know, I think we've got to acknowledge now in cities, it's high demand spectrum, it's high capacity, mm. high throughput. So everything's going into your Wi-Fi 6 and even your 60 gigs. Mm -hmm. 
uh, in those sort of environments because it's if you're going wireless, they want something similar to fiber. So you've got to have that capacity. Whereas in the rural areas, um, you've got to reach out into areas that are difficult to get to. There's no infrastructure. Uh, TV white space is very easily uh, powered by solar, okay. uh, not high demand. So it's very easy to create your base station. Consumption is not high. Um, and to put in solar kits, which is what we've done yep. in uh, these rural areas, particularly the um, subscriber unit with the Wi-Fi access point is all solar powered. Mm -hmm. So luckily enough, these guys don't have any uh, break in internet when they have load shedding. <laughs> and so it's that's fantastic. both the base station and the CPE equipment. We've used the base station, not so much solar. We've actually put in a UPS in the base station, which mm -hmm. is big enough because okay. they've got AC power there. And it's normally co-located with a mobile network possibly. Oh. So it's normally got a priority as far as um, power is concerned or a generator there. So one looks at it, but we have considered solar in, in areas where there isn't. Yes. And I mean, to power a um, TV white space base station with a router and uh, other things that you might need, a, a microwave link to the site, you may be looking at about 70 watts that you need, so it's nothing big. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So maximum 100 watts you know, power of, yeah. of all your different features. You can add security cameras. So it's easily to solar power a uh, TV white space base station. Oh. The subscriber unit, we've I think we've perfected that, um, where it's a plug and forget. It works. It doesn't. You've uh, difficult to switch it off actually. <laughs> um, but um, that's why I call it when you're maintaining these networks, it's for one man with a ladder. Right. Uh, you know he doesn't have his dog can follow him, but it's one man a ladder because yeah to power down or take it loose, you just got to climb up a pole. What sort of coverage are you getting around a base station? What sort of distances are we looking at? Well, the base station, you're getting up to, in most cases, uh, you know, we're we conservative. We say 10 kilometers, mm -hmm. um, and that's depending on the terrain, the propagation. But in some cases, you can get 15. Obviously, the further you go out, the bit of degradation in your throughput. Mm -hmm. But we tend to work on normally a radius of 10 kilometers uh, relative to the terrain. We've seen better, but I think it's all applicable depending on your... Um, RF propagation prediction, because right. wherever we go, we first do a proper prediction of the uh, uh, RF in that area from the particular point. And um, then we, you know, from the point to multipoint, that's where we put down the Wi-Fi hotspots and provide 150 to 200 meter radius from that point. Can you just pump up the power on the base station to get a better... Unfortunately, better I wish we could. I wish the regulators would allow us to do that. Mm -hmm. But that is one of the challenges because... TV white space um, is limited in its power based on the area that you're in. Okay. The total EIRP uh, you're allowed is uh, 41 uh, dBm, which is not much in comparison. So it would be great if one could, and there's been a lot of push to try and get higher power TV white space. Um, obviously, also, you've got to think of the dissipation of heat within your radios within oh. your unit. But um, as it's progressing, we're seeing a much better performance <coughs> excuse me, in the uh, radio performances. Um, so like with everything, you know, it, it's once you get it into the field and you get the feedback, it doesn't help just doing it in a lab. It's, uh, and yeah. it, we've had some excellent field trials, not trials, but functional operational networks. And at the edge of the network coverage area, is the speed you get slower than closer to the tower? or is It, it is a bit slower, okay. um, but we've had um, 15 megabits per second at uh, 12 kilometers. Okay. So, yeah, it, it depends, you know, and... As I said, you know, it's symmetrical data, so you're tending to get a lot more efficiency. Mm. And in most of those cases, the usage is devices, mobile or tablet devices. 
So you're not permanently connected. When you're streaming, etc., it works well. It works very well with video calls, um, as was shown in the early days, actually, with the trials when we mm -hmm. did it in, in Kenya. So it is applicable, but as I said, it's, um, it's, not, a, it's not the silver bullet, uh, as some people would think it is, but it does clear you. I, as I said, the, you, you get the five gig radius, mm -hmm. and then you get the TV white space, which is a little bit further out, and that's why I still call it the 4x4. Four four. <laughs> right. it, it, it can get you connecting to people on an economical basis without having to extend your network. Once you create the connectivity and the demand and the subscribers connecting, mm. then you can uh, uh, motivate to actually add more sites in the area. I don't think it applies to LTE. I could be wrong, but certainly in, in older cellular networks, if you added more devices to the network, the size of the cell shrank. Yes. Shrunk. Shrank. Shrank. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so people at the edge would lose connectivity. Is this, does the same thing happen in TV wide spaces? Not really, no. no. It's, um, I, I think basically what you found, as you said, yeah, with, with the LTE from your 2G, 3G and, and 4G, obviously as your frequency went up, you had to create more base stations because your propagation reduced. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and, and a, a, lot of, a lot of people, because the battle in the cellular uh, industry was going from a 900 megs to 1800 was still all right, but then going to 21 and 2700, uh, it made a big difference. And if you're putting those... Uh, uh, base stations on the same towers mm. as your older technology, you need to create more to fill in the gaps because your propagation at those frequencies is a lot less, mm -hmm. particularly in high-density areas where you've got a lot of obstructions. Yeah, yeah. TV white space handles reflections very well, which is, um, so you'll get a bounce off it, and that's yeah. where the cognitive, the smart radio comes in. I was going to ask about, you mentioned cognitive at the beginning of the discussion, uh, cognitive radio. What, what is it exactly? How does it work? Is this a clever way of figuring out what spectrum is available in a particular area? Not particularly. That, that is coming. Mm. Um, uh, some of the vendors are putting in, well, with a GPS there, the problem is the database is not dynamic at the moment. Oh. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about creating dynamic channel allocation so that if it picks up interference, and uh, some of the uh, vendors did work on that saying, hang on, uh, you know, I'll request another channel from the database, which can be done. Mm. Um, but it requires interaction also with the database operator and to set that up. But yes, you can sense um, if I've got noise or interference from something else I don't know about. Um, at the moment, basically, they manage that and monitor it and get your low noise amplifiers, etc., to look at what can they limit around there. And if you are picking up interference that uh, one actually notifies the spectrum database to block that channel out, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is what I've done. I've done it a couple of times. Right. So dynamic database is not, not uh, on the table right now in South Africa. Well, I think there's a lot of discussion, you know, as part of the DSA, Dynamic Spectrum Alliance. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they'd love to see dynamic spectrum allocation, and not only in TV white space, but I think the concept of how can we use this dynamic spectrum mm. usage amongst higher channels and mobile networks, and I, mm. there's always been discussions on it, but it's a difficult one to uh, push yeah. when, when people own Spectrum. Because there's a lot of wastage in Spectrum, isn't there? I mean, There's a lot of unused Spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Even amongst the mobile operators, they're not using all of it and no. all over the country. Well, the thing mm. is, you know, once somebody buys Spectrum, and I, you know, I've spoken about Spectrum sharing or people lease out their Spectrum, like mm. we know quite a few of the mobile operators do, but um, if you've got Spectrum over a geographic area or it's specific to a geographic area, it suits some, but it doesn't suit the others. Mm. So it's... Um, I, I personally think it would be great, but there's a lot of, there's too much um, vested, say, interest. Uh, invested into that. I mean, look at the price what they pay for yeah. buying a spectrum. Yeah. So 
It'll you don't want to give that away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the CSIR has been quite involved in, in all of this. Uh, oh, very much so, uh, yes. Just tell so. us a bit about their role and what they've, what they've contributed to this process. Well, I think the CSIR is a very big player in TV white space, uh, and they, they are very much at the moment pushing it because they're the ones who developed the local spectrum database, mm-hmm. um, the secondary geolocation spectrum database, as it's called. And uh, they've called it the spectrum switch, which accommodated the uh, ICASA-specific requirements for South Africa. There was some difference to the international pause requirements. And um, not only that, they are pioneering, and they did with the first, they had the first phase where UNDP funded four pilot projects in four different areas, four um, SMME ISPs. And those projects were set up and got going and uh, were, were quite you know, successful. Um, using a similar concept also with the solar-powered CPEs. And um, there's a phase two going through the process at the moment where it's funded by the UK and one or two others, I can't remember which, but but daily involved in. Mm -hmm. And very much, um, there's a very interesting uh, TV white space uh, WhatsApp group for Africa with a lot of the regulators and country people and Everybody's sharing what's happening in the various countries, and it's a. So great there's quite a lot of activity going on. There's a lot of activity, mainly to try and get regulators to accept it and go forward. A lot of activity in Tanzania and discussions at the moment. Kenya okay. is fully regulated with their database, but I think the challenge, being at the end of the day, is um, you know a lot of people say, "Oh, can I get you know um, uh, one gig out there?" I said, "Well, if they've got nothing at the moment, mm. you know, uh, 30 megs or something is better than nothing." Mm which is where we started with in cellular in the, in the beginning. So create the connectivity, create the demand and the growth, and you'll be able to fund the, um, the supplementary expansion of your network. Yeah. So you say Kenya is fully regulated now. Is South Africa fully regulated? Yes, South Africa is fully regulated. Commercially, uh, the database was available, I think, on the 1st of April 2021. Okay. And so is the CSR still operated? CSR there? still operated. There was a discussion that they were going to white label it out to a database operator. Yes. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. I know they put a tender out, but I think that's all stationary. And the CSR are actively marketing their database to other African countries to help regulators and to help others um, so that uh, you know th- they can give a typically African experience of what's about. But they're quite happy to go into various others. In Kenya, they use the um, uh, database from the UK and then they adapted it to the Kenyan environment. Okay. Yeah. And our regulations here that, that were developed by ICASA, are they good? Are they fit yes, for purpose? Yes, no, they're, they're fit for purpose, yeah. and uh, there's, they're, they're very reasonable. There's nothing unreasonable about mm. them. Um, some <coughs> of the um, Spectrum database operators were not too keen to change their standard spec to adopt to the South African ones, and um, hence they haven't come into the game. Um, but the CSR have done a very good job of what they're doing. Okay. And they're still they're very, very passionate about connecting the unconnected and TV white space. Mm. And um, uh, some of my good friends are based there in the CSR. We get on very well with each other. Okay. Good to hear. So, Heath, um, now that the regulation is in place, and I know a lot of um, uh, potential operators, people who wanted to roll out projects, were waiting for these regulations to come into force, for the database to be ready and operational, which it now is. What are we seeing in terms of commercial deployments on the ground and where... Where are these typically happening right now? Well, I think commercial, besides the um, uh, funders or uh, donations from organizations like UNDP, etc., 
We've only really got two operational networks, and they're both up in Louis Trichard, strangely. Okay. Um, where they've kicked off, and, uh, you know, they've got 12 CPEs in one and eight in the other, and creating the hotspots and selling vouchers and, you know, getting up connectivity. The biggest challenge for any individual network operator is raising that initial capital to get the network going. And it's very difficult for a new ISP or an SMME um, for two reasons. One is if they want to raise the money, and in most cases, the small project, 1.5 million, mm. it can adequately get you going. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can serve easily, you know, a thousand people, if not more, mm-hmm. um, with that and have a nomadic Wi-Fi network around your area. But they either, from a local point of view of funding, they're wanting a lot of uh, commitment from it and a uh, high return repayments, etc., to get the guys going. Or else it's a lot too small for the um, funders or people mm. raising funds. You know, they want something like a million dollars. I mean, I can roll out at least eight networks with that sort of money. And that is a challenge. We've got a lot of them, and they've tried IDC, they've tried USASA, they've tried everybody. And it's such a pity because there are a lot of very keen, interested um, ISPs and SMMEs who want to build community-based networks mm. that are, they're not non-profit. They need to be a viable proposition and sustainable network operators. And we are happy to, which we've done, to help incubate these guys and provide them with the platform for billing, for network management, and with the solutions and help them design their network, which is what we do. Mm. Okay, so so two in the Louis Trichard area. I know there was some talk a while ago about some projects in Eastern Cape. There was, I think, in the old, in the old Transkei, there was some the pilot project running in KZN. Have those all fallen by the wayside? Are those still on the go? No, well, as far as I, I know, the, the original project that was funded by the USTDA, and that was with WAPA and ECSWE, and there was some in the, in, in the KwaZulu-Natal, and there was actually also one up in Louis Trichard mm. oh, um, okay. that yeah. was done up there. So... They, as far as I understand, they're still running. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is some interest uh, amongst others, um, a, a lot of um, operators. But as I said, the biggest challenge is getting that startup funding. Yeah. I think I've got at the moment about five, six projects that I've planned and prepped and put together and provided them with the costings. And it's just taking time for them to get funded. Mm. Uh, which it's is kind of sad, really. Uh, it's yeah. very sad. No, it's very sad. When you think of... What is available from the original uh, Universal Service Fund, USASA, mm. and CETA, and all that sort of stuff. But it's just not happening. I'm not getting to the right people. So yeah. This seems like an obvious thing for the Universal Service Fund. It, it, it is an obvious thing, because the original establishment, and Ghana has done something very well with the Universal Service Fund, where they've rolled out infrastructure and provided um, the capex to build infrastructure for rural communities to build the network. Because that's the main con- obstacle is putting that initial capex in. Mm. Because really, at the end of the day, once that's up and built, it's up to them to just sell vouchers and sell airtime yes. and maintain the network, which you try and keep very low. Mm. So, and you incubate them on how to do that, how to get out there, how to market, and also provide them with a the technical training and upliftment. And it's amazing what the one crowd in, in Louis Truchard have done. They've, uh, they've really embraced it where they've learned and they're very, I would say, largely self sufficient. To a large degree, and we just connect with them remotely when we need to. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, I'd love to see a lot more of it. Um, white space or any point to multipoint fixed wireless, and creating the connectivity through um, a mixture of either in-house yes. or hotspot scenarios. Right. 
Right. And, um, so, so, I mean, what are you seeing in these two scenarios at the moment? Are you seeing um, entrepreneurs creating Wi-Fi hotspots off based on this connectivity? Or are you actually seeing people deploying the CPEs in their homes? No, it's, um, we're seeing a lot more of the hotspots creations because one hotspot covers a lot of people. A lot of people. And then, and then so, so it would be a, like a Spaza shop operator, for example, who might... Even a home. They put, they put them in the backyard of a home. Oh, right. And uh, you'll be amazed, the connectivity around there, and the home's actually a reseller of the vouchers. Okay. So people create, uh, it's creating a bit of enterprise, creating a bit of employment. And an opportunity, opportunity to and sell other things while those people exactly. are there. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the Spaza shops, you know, when uh, we put, uh, well, the... The operator put a, a hotspot at a school. He said, "No, no, bring it here, mm-hmm. because I don't want them sitting over there." And also, putting a hotspot at a school—it's all right connecting the school, mm. but in the afternoon the kids all go home, mm. and they need connectivity at home to complete their schoolwork. So that is very much uh, a lesson learned as well, saying, "Don't put the hotspots at the school. Put them outside or in the areas where they live, yes, so that they can get that connectivity." And the nice thing with creating it with the billing platform that we propose and offer is the billing is done per device. So it's very much exactly the same as a mobile network where people can buy a voucher on a daily basis or a monthly basis. It's all prepaid. And they can even enter the voucher into a smart TV inside their home or a desktop. Mm -hmm. So it provides you with that Wi-Fi connectivity on a nomadic basis. So you might have, like in Louis Trichot in in Chakorta, we've got 12 hotspots. Mm So anywhere within that 12 hotspot coverage, if you've got a voucher, you've got airtime, you've got connectivity. So you're creating a micro Wi-Fi cellular type environment, which is affordable for those environments, but also it's very low maintenance, very low OPEX. And that one has to consider, you don't need a high skill set to do it. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of this equipment is plug and play, or we'll teach them to do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And um, provide support for them on, on a remote basis. So... It's, I, I wish there was funding to get this crowd. We, we are working to try and find funders to create a pool, a funding mm-hmm. pool, mm-hmm. that we can help and support ISPs and, and uh, smaller SMEs in these areas to get them up and going, but also make sure that they spend the money wisely, you incubate them, and you help them commercially on how to monetize that network. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, uh, <laughs> let's talk about a bit of a bit about where this technology is going. Okay. Uh, you were chatting before we started yes. recording about what Carlson Wireless is, uh, is, is, is busy working on. Well, yes. Um, um, tell uh, us a bit about uh, what we can expect in the next few years from TV White Space. I think we, we're privileged to be involved with Carlson Wireless, who's one of the pioneers of TV White Space. And um, at the moment, we're still operating on the third generation, which was out in you know, 2017-odd and a couple of iterations and improvements and efficiencies of it. But obviously with the, um, uh, the whole movement towards Wi-Fi 6 chipsets now, um, Colson are strongly considering, and it's part of the plan, uh, we'll see some good news in 2023, uh, more towards the middle of the year, where they're going to now incorporate the Wi-Fi 6 technology um, with TV white space. It'll bring the cost right down, but also provide you with much better throughput on the existing TV white space channels, which is what is we Is this want. Wi-Fi from the base station or Wi-Fi no, it's, in the it's Wi-Fi. It's, it's actually using the Wi-Fi 6 uh, protocols, yeah. and you've got much higher MIMO, you've got much higher uh, modulation. So your throughput, etc., you're going up to 300 megabits per second on a single channel compared to the 30. So you're almost okay. 10 times what you're doing. And, but using Wi-Fi spectrum? 
Uh, no, using a TV wi using TV wi yeah. But using the protocols, etc., within Wi-Fi. Right. So it's interesting, interesting without giving away too much. Right. But I think that's going to change the game, particularly also bring the whole cost into more like your fixed wireless uh, 5 gig type technology, but give you that throughput at the further distance. Same time. Which has been a challenge up to now. Okay, fantastic. So it's it's exciting. It's looking yeah. very exciting. And uh, we look forward to seeing it. And we're talking about by mid-2023. Keith, I hope you. Uh, I hope there is a lot more funding coming for TV white spaces uh, projects. It's, it almost sounds criminal that there isn't more funding happening, and uh, yeah. and hopefully someone from USASA is watching this as well. And maybe <laughs> some maybe some money gets uh, directed towards some of these projects because uh, you know we know there's a there's a crying need for connectivity in rural areas. And it's no, definitely, um, we 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 canvassing all around, you know, internationally, local, potential funders, potential opportunities, and as I said, a lot of the funders find it risky. They don't know who this. Uh, SMME, ISPs, unknown, starting up. What's so we're trying to provide that confidence for the funding mm. that this is possible, this is the business model, and we will assist in making sure that it works mm. and that there are. But it, the big thing is you're incubating and you're training people in these communities that they can be self-sufficient and run a network and make it something that is passionate within the community. Mm-hmm. Um, because we've seen the, how people get so excited when they've yeah. got connect. As they say, data is the new gold or yeah. the oil. Yeah. So if anyone is interested in um, get, maybe getting in contact with you and talking about uh, this technology and funding opportunities, etc., what is your email address? My email address is keith, K-E-I-T-H, at indiegobroadband, one word, dot co dot za. Easy enough. Keith, keith Pato is a CTO of Indigo Broadband. Yeah. Thank you for a fascinating discussion. Thanks very much, Duncan. Thanks for the opportunity and uh, look forward to keeping in touch with you. And thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.